fear of God. And today, I'm just going to begin by uh, sharing what the Lord has placed on my heart. And I'm going to actually move that back just a little bit. Um, some of you, like me, may have listened to uh, Dr. Tony Evans' recent sermon entitled Lessons from the Life of Lois Evans. Uh, those of, of, of us who are familiar with Dr. Tony Evans' ministry, Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship, Urban Alternatives Ministry, are aware that Lois Evans, Dr. Lois Evans, uh, passed away, went home to be with the Lord four years ago. And she and Tony Evans were married for 49 years. And if you go to Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship on every wall, <laughs> you see a picture of Lois Evans and Tony Evans because, as he has said, there's nothing that he has done ministry-wise that her hands were not involved. Now, one of the things that were cl was clearly evident to me as I listened to the message is that Lois Evans had her house in order. She had her house in order. The phrase, get your house in order, is used in the scriptures as a warning or an urging before death, before the death of a person, to direct them to plan for his or her family's future possessions, getting your house in order means getting funeral arrangements set. It means addressing unsolved family problems, uh, to handle any unfinished business so that your survivors do not have to deal with them. Getting your house in order involves making your final wishes known. This may include a POA, that is a power of attorney, someone who can make your medical, financial, and legal decisions when you are incapable of doing that. We call that today estate planning. We don't say, get your house in order. We say, have you taken care of your estate? Now, during our study of the bondage breaker this past Wednesday, I asked the question, can dead people speak to us? And one of the stu students said, yes, they can speak to us through their documents. They can speak to us through their estate planning, through the words that they have left for us. Now, before I spook you out, I ain't come here to be here about no death. We just got at home and watch people getting killed on TV. Why you going to bring us to church and talk about death and dying? Well, we need to not ignore the fact that death is a part of life. Amen. And the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, but after death there is judgment. We must get our house in order. 
In 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 1, the great godly king Hezekiah was forced to deal with the reality of his own impending death. That was not on his agenda. That was not a subject that he had downloaded to research. But the Bible says, in those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and he said, Thus saith the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Now, three things happen to introduce the unwelcome conversation about death and dying. First of the three things was that Hezekiah the king was critically ill. The Bible says he was sick and near death. The second thing that happened is that God sent the prophet Isaiah to him with instructions. He says to King Hezekiah, get your house in order. Now, I'm not sure of how old Hezekiah was, but I do know that Jesus said we must work while it is day because the night is coming when no man can work. The time to do the work that God has determined for us before he even placed us on the planet is the moment that we have any consciousness about, we, about God, divine purpose. And so I don't know when the night is coming. You may be 27, you may be 47, you may be 87. The night will come when the hourglass will wind its way to strike 12 in our lives, and we just don't know. So we must do the work of him. So the second thing, the prophet goes and he informs Hezekiah of God's instructions. And then the third thing, he says, you are going to die and not recover. There's no medical remedy. There's no experimental drug. You are going to die, and the prognosis, though is not provided for us, basically God says you are terminally ill, and this illness will result and in the close of your life. You are not long for this world. But by the grace of God, the story goes on. This is the part of the story that we like. Hezekiah's day did not end as it began. The scripture says, then he turned his face towards the wall and he prayed to the Lord saying, remember now, O Jehovah, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with loyal, a loyal heart and have done what you have told me to do, what was good in your sight, and Hezekiah wept bitterly. And it happened before, before Isaiah had gone out into the middle of the court that the word of the Lord came to him saying, Return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus saith Jehovah, thus saith Yahweh, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add to your days 
15 years. God said, I've heard your prayers. I've seen your tears. And I have sovereignly and graciously decided to extend your life by 15 years. Now, the interesting thing, if you study, if you continue to read in chapter 20, you'll find that it would have been better if Hezekiah had died when the Lord said he would because he ended up doing something that he would not have otherwise done that opened up the door for the nation of Babylon to come into Jerusalem and to take everything out of the house of God and to deport the people of God. But God gave him 15 more years. But here's the point. Even with the extension of Hezekiah's life, there was still going to come a time when he would have to get his house in order. Am I right about it? What we learn from the example of King Hezekiah, the warning that he needed to get his affairs for his family and and, and difficulties resolved, is that we have an example in 2 Timothy chapter 4 where we can learn from the word of God how to get our house in order. These are things that we should do before that fateful day when you may be unable to speak and tell your family that's fighting or acting like vultures hovering over your bed. Is she dead yet? Is he dead yet? Did you get the code? Uh, Do you know where the safe is? I got the car. No, you don't have the car. I got that car. You can have the other one. So I've seen all kinds of madness at the bedside of people who no longer can speak for themselves. I've actually seen notaries come in and try to hold up the hand of somebody who's getting ready to be pronounced to write and sign something that they are totally incapacitated, that is mentally lacking the faculties to say what they actually want. That's why we get power of attorneys, people who can represent our wishes legally, medically, and financially. We also, even one of the things that sometimes we don't understand is while the power of attorney is effective while a person is still alive, once you die, the power of attorney legally, medically, and financially terminates. You need an executor who can continue to operate on your behalf to execute your wishes after you have departed from this life. And so tell somebody, get your house in order. Now, I'm going to share with you seven things that I believe that are going to be a blessing to you. We're going to teach you today. This is going to teach you. And, and here's, why, here's why I'm sharing this. After I heard Tony Evans' sermon, no sooner had the sermon ended, I get a call from one of my best friends. He said, Tony, it's cancer, and I have a year to six months to live. I was devastated because of the nature of the relationship that I had with this person and what they had meant to our family. And no sooner had I heard that news, I get another call that a coworker who thought she had kidney stones, turns out that it's terminal cancer, and they say to her, 16 months or less to live. 
And then the Lord says, tell my people, get your house in order. Now, here's the first thing that we're going to learn from uh, 2 Timothy. And I'm going to be reading a lot of scripture to you right from uh, 2 Timothy. And I'll just start with verse 4, verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at, the, at his appearing and his kingdom. He said, I charge you, I urge you. I am challenging you in the presence of the Lord who will judge you. This is Paul's last will and testament. This is his obituary. He says, speaking to his spiritual son, he adds, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exalt with all long suffering and teaching, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. We're in those days. Instead, suit their own desires. They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Name it and claim it. Ain't he all right? I know God. But you keep your head on in all situations. Keep your head, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge, complete, fulfill all the duties of your ministry. Fulfill your ministry, Timothy. This is Paul's obituary. These are his last words to a spiritual son, Pastor Timothy. When the apostle wrote these words, he was in a maximum security death row cell. Every legal appeal that Paul had available to him had been exhausted. And now he was finally aware of the ultimate decision that Nero, emperor of Rome, had decided. His decision was Paul was to be executed. We understand historically that Paul, the great apostle, died for the proclamation of the gospel. And unlike today, where we believe in sloppy agape, and that the way that we, we, don't, we don't believe that we were placed on the planet to serve God, but that God exists to serve us. We want a crown, but we don't want the cross of the Bible. When the Bible says, while we are in the world, we will experience trials and tribulations. Jesus said, they will hate you because they first hated me. But be of good cheer, <laughs> because I have overcome the world. And because I am victorious and have authority in heaven and on earth, you too possess what is necessary, because greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. So Paul had exhausted all of his legal avenues to walk out of that prison cell, just like many who have gotten that diagnosis, and they've had the treatments, 
and the doctors with all of their expertise and the technology that's available to them conclude there's no more that we can do. Unfortunately, too many of those who profess to be Christians don't understand that dying is not the worst thing that could happen to you. The worst thing that could happen to us, the Bible says, don't fear him who's able to destroy your body, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul and put you into hell. So for Christians, death is not the end, but the beginning. We are eternal beings having a temporary experience. We are pilgrims who are passing through. I heard one people, one person say, hey, yeah. so everybody want to go to heaven, but nobody want to die to go there. But to get from here to there, we got to leave here. I don't have no problem with what happened to Enoch back in uh, Genesis chapter 5. The Bible says he went for a walk. And he was not. The Lord translated Enoch. I, and he, he did the same thing uh, for Elijah. I, I, I'm okay. Lord, you can take me. I don't have to experience death. But for most of us, we will go by way of what? we are suffering as a result of Adam's sin, that because of Adam's sin, physical death entered into the world. Somebody say amen. amen. And so as crucial as the apostle Paul was to the Christian movement, if he hadn't done this one thing, we would not know about it. And so the first thing that we want to do to get our house in order is what Paul did. Finalize your wishes in writing. He wrote it down. What we are learning about Paul's from his perspective, how he felt, what he was thinking, what he wanted, how ministers and pastors should conduct themselves. If he hadn't written it down, Paul's intention, his wishes would have gone to the grave with him. And so the first thing that we need to do about what we want in terms of getting our house in order, we need to finalize our desires, our plans, our wishes. Put it in writing. Write it down. He wrote it down. He, that's why, uh, uh, and he wrote it down in such a way that when the Bible said all scripture is given by inspiration of God, God breathed, a part of what the Spirit of God led him to do was to record his, ob his own obituary. He wrote it down. One of the most powerful things that I've seen when I've gone to home corner services is when people write their own obituaries. Write what this. I don't want my family trying to figure out what to say. Or stuff you read, this ain't him. What? what? Who is this person? They ain't never opened up a Bible in their life. Oh, you, 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 you talk with somebody, my mother was a great Christian, and then you get to the, to the service, and the first thing, and she loved going to uh, uh, Delaware Park yeah. and gambling. Man, my mother was a gambler, and boy, she was a shot, she was a shot rocker. <laughs> she could put any man under a chair. I said, That's your sermon right there. <laughs> you so you... you just take that responsibility out of a person who doesn't really know you. Write your own. Write your own. Just don't lie. 
You ain't got no doctorate degree. You ain't went no seminary. You ain't went no Bible college. That's okay. We didn't all do that. But we need, we need Paul. So the first thing we want to do is finalize your wishes in writing. He wrote it down. He wrote it down. Who would, who would be able to speak for you if the doctor said you had 24 hours to live? What about your life is so set that if you could no longer do what you do for yourself, that you would not be horrified that the church folk would see what you really like? Well, I don't care what anybody thinks you do. Well, you, you ought to care because the Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they see. Your good works don't stop when you leave church talking about hallelujah, praise Jesus. It extends to where you live. In fact, that's where it ought to be happening the most. Let God will be done on earth as it's being done in heaven. You are written epistles being read of men. What would your house say about you? But more importantly, could people find documents that they need? Would your husband be able to access your bank account? Mm-hmm. We're one, but not in that area. <laughs> I had a guy who was begging me, please marry me to my fiance. She was on a ventilator. She was actually dying. And he wanted to marry her before she died. He went and got the license and everything. And that lady was hanging in there just for this marriage. And uh, I normally, if somebody doesn't go through some counseling, I ain't touching it. But this poor lady was dying. And so... Uh, I agreed. I said, I'll, I'll marry you. Uh, so I'm by the, by the bedside. She's got the ventilator on, and we're going to take the ventilator off. When Once this ceremony is all over, because now the ventilator, after two weeks, the ventilator is not helping you. It's harming you. It's corroding your throat. For, for, so, for those of you who have loved ones, you ain't taking off no ventilator. I'm going to let her. No, no. no. And now, now she's, she's literally rotting the throat. So you're not helping them. You're not helping them by leaving. So I performed the ceremony, take the ventilator off, and within a couple hours, she was gone. A week later, I get a call from this brother. He says, you know what? I had no idea. The first thing that happened is when he took her body to the funeral home, her children showed up and moved the body. He had no idea where it was. That's the first thing that happened. And then the next thing that happened, he gets all these letters in the mail. That lady was in so much debt. <laughs> she owed everybody. And now he's married to her. Guess who owed those debts? If you don't write down what your desires are, who's going to know what they are? Well, I ain't going to be talking about that. If you talk about it, you bring it on. You, the Bible says power, the, the power of life and death is in the tongue. It doesn't mean that you want to die if you talk about planning for the future. You ain't going on no vacation without a plan. I'm going to go to Cancun, and we're going to do You got every detail, all the meals you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, how you coordinate and all that. And then you get ready to check out, and nobody knows anything about you. 
you end up in somebody's morgue in the hospital for five days. Family fighting over, I ain't calling them because if I call them, then they're going to expect me. You don't have to be a senior citizen to write it down. He, so, so he finalized his desires and wishes. He wrote it down. And he was in a prison, and he knew, he knew that he was not long for this earth. Here's another thing. Focus on what matters. Focus on what matters. He says, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I'm about to die. I'm not going to be here long. This is a great apostle Paul. Apostle Paul who prayed over people who were dead, they were resurrected. The apostle Paul who prayed over those who were blind and sick, and they were healed. But now he's saying, I've got to get my house in order because I'm the, my, the appeals. Now, God can still, you're getting your house in order, but God can still say 15 years. God can still extend. He says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. I fought the good fight. I've run my race. I've kept the faith. There's prepared for me a crown of righteousness in heaven by the righteous judge, not only for me, but to all who love his appearance. Paul focused on what matters. That's what we ought to be doing. Part of preparing your house, getting your house in order. Focus on what matters. Not the trivial. He says, I'm already being poured out as a drink. He focused on the present. This is really happening to me. I am getting ready to check out. And the reality of our life is not just at the end of our lives, but what is really going on with you? Now, you can say, I'm not sick in the name of Jesus. I declare it. This, is, this cancer be gone. It can't happen on my watch. You can say all of those things. That doesn't make it go away if God chooses for it not, for it not to go. Jesus prayed three times. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. I do not want to be separated from you for one second. But, Lord, if it's, if it's not your will, let your will be done. Once you have determined the will of God, then you got to be okay with what God decides, even if it means that he doesn't take away. What Paul said, I prayed three times that the Lord would take the thorn away from me. But God never took it away. He said that this is a messenger from Satan, but I'm going to allow this attack to come on you to keep you humble so that you'll know that my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. He's focused on what matters. He focused on the present. The present matters. Paul was realistic about what was happening to him. He accepted and acknowledged what was going to take place. It wasn't the lack of faith if you acknowledge what's going on with you. It doesn't go away because I know that I got to pay my car note, but I'm just going to pray and believe and fast. I'm going to get some folk to touch and agree. We're going to make this. It ain't going away. The car may go away. I'm going to believe God to take away all this excess weight. I'm going to believe the Lord. Pass the carpets now. Give me the Twinkies now. Oh, no, 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 no. You got it. It's not going away just because you decree it and declare it. It doesn't mean that you lack faith. It doesn't mean that, you haven't, that you've given up. 
the Paul, Apostle Paul was believing God that even though Nero thought he was the most powerful person, well, God could have released. How many times was Paul released from, from death? But this time, God says, the night has come. Your work is over. He exhausted all of his legal opportunities. He finally received his death sentence. He says, I'm being poured out as a drink often. Now, how could Paul be so realistic about his current situation? How could he be okay with it? He's in jail. He's not going to get out. And the only reason he's there, all he has to do is denounce Jesus. That's all he has to do. I ain't a Christian no more. And get, I'll be a Christian. And I won't be a Christian until I'm dis, when I get discharged from prison. And I'll, and I'll become a Muslim while I'm in prison. And then when I'm out of prison, because the Lord is, is gracious and he'll forgive, right? He wouldn't do that. Why was Paul able to do this? Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And he says, he, he adds in Philippians chapter 1, verses 22 through 24, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said, I'm, I'm struggling between two opinions. He said, to die is far better because I'll be with Jesus. Do you believe that? It's far better to be with Jesus? But to remain is for your benefit. Because if I stay, I can be still used. The only reason I want to stay is not because it's better to be with you, but be, by staying, I can help you to become more like Jesus. And the more you get like Jesus, the more you want to be with Jesus. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, he, said, I, he, went, he got a vision of heaven. And after the experience, the Lord says, you can't tell anybody what you saw. Why would he not tell Paul to share it? He said, because if you knew what heaven was really like, people would be committing suicide to get there. Heaven is really a better place. And he said, so I'm struggling with two different opinions. To die is, to live is Christ and to die. I can't lose. So he could say, I'm okay in the present about what's happening with me because I know that God got, God's got me. One of the things that we, unfortunately, as Christians, we don't learn. We don't know how to be content in whatever state the Lord has. That's what I'm talking about. The, what matters is in the present is learning how to be content in whatever state the Lord has allowed. We so, we so focused on the grass, on the other body, on somebody else's yard that we can't understand. God has already blessed us. God has already given us what we need. And if we don't learn how to accept what he's already given us, even if we gave us more, we still wouldn't be satisfied because we don't know that our real satisfaction doesn't come from things, but it comes from him. Focus on what matters. Focus on what matters in your present. What really matters in your present? What are you focusing on? Are you focusing on being miserable? Are you focusing on learning how to celebrate your life right where God has you? Oh, it's going to be so much better when I get married, so much better when I get a better job, so much better when I get off this weight. No, the better is now. As I'm surrendered, Paul said, I've learned to, in whatever state, because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That means in whatever state I am, I have the strength from Christ. What matters is the present. The past also matters. He said, I fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. As you're looking towards 
coming to a close in your life, or as you are reflecting on where you are in the present, you should be able to look back. Paul said, I forget those things which are behind. I press forward. The only things that we should be remembering are the things that we have learned that, have, that are helping us in the present. So there's some things that you need to look back at, mistakes that you made, choices that you made, so that you don't do that anymore. So when he says, I fought the good fight, every fight ain't a good fight. But he said, when I look back over my life, I, 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 can, te- I can testify that I fought the good fight. And in my fighting, in my struggles, during my hard times, even when I felt like giving up, when it seemed like it was all alone, when I was depressed and down, what I, what I discovered is I, I was able to keep the faith because he who saved me is faithful in the midst of my fiery furnace. He's faithful. But he said, I've kept the faith. I, I fought the good fight. So one of the things as we get our house in order, we're going to focus on what matters. What matters is the past that God has allowed you to overcome victoriously, even with the scars. Even with the scars. What has God brought you through? So one, so, so one of the things as I'm talking to people at the end of their lives, and they're, figuring, they're feeling like they were a failure, they didn't accomplish the things that they, they that give me, Lord, give me more time so I can do, do what I should have been doing. That chapter is closed. The milk is already out of the bottle. But what you can do is look back on the fact that God, in spite of what you didn't accomplish, there were things that God used you to accomplish. Does that make sense? Focus on the present, the reality. Be honest. I got this. I don't have that. I can control this, but I can't control that. And what I can control is I'm not going to spend the rest of my days, no matter how long they are, thinking about dying. Well, if I get on a plane, you know the Lord said, lo, I am with you always. He didn't say hi, so I'm not getting on a plane. The Lord said, wherever you are, I'm with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm not driving over a bridge. It's dark. I can't. The Lord is the God of the light and the dark, isn't he? Focus on what matters. The future also matters. He says, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord. So he was looking beyond his current circumstances, looking beyond what he could see, and he was able to, to, to say, I know beyond this circumstance, God is going to reward me for my obedience. There's a crown, Paul says, that the righteous judge, and it's interesting that the way Paul died, he was executed by having his head severed. But he says there's a crown. (laughs) What man cannot destroy, the Bible says, this corruptible body, we shall be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. This corruptible body shall take on incorruption, and this mortal body shall take on immortality. He says, beloved, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but when we see Jesus, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We're going to get brand new bodies. This body that is sown in corruption shall be snatched up at the sound of the trumpet. The dead in Christ, he was looking beyond his present circumstances. He was able to look to the future and say, I'm going to be rewarded for being obedient in my dungeon experience. I'm talking about getting your house in order. So he finalized his wishes by writing them down. He focused on what mattered, but he also fellowshiped with godly people as much as possible. 
Listen to what it says in verse uh, 9 through 20. It says, be diligent to come to me quickly. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and departed to Thessalonica, Crescent to Galatia, Titus to Demacia. Only Luke is with me, but get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful for ministry. The apostle Paul says, I'm by myself. I got one person with me. Come quickly. He wanted the fellowship of the body of Christ. One of the things in terms of getting your house in order, for me, I want to be surrounded by people that love God. I don't, if I, as long as I can come to church, I'm going to be in church. Paul said, come quickly. Bring Mark. The only person that's still with me is Luke right now. One of the things that ought to be happening now as we are getting our minds uh, turned towards the eternal and, and what God is directing us to in these last and evil days is the, it's the preciousness of the church, the preciousness of fellowship, the preciousness. The only relationships that are going to be eternal is not husband and wife, I'm sad to say, but it's going to be the sisters and brothers who are in Christ. That, that relationship will last throughout eternity. You're going to be with me throughout all eternity. But the Bible, oh, it got quiet on me. The Bible says there's no marriage or giving to marriage in heaven. That's what the Lord said. But because there's something, as much as you love your spouse, there's something even greater in the spirit realm in terms of relationships that you will experience that we can't experience on this earth. And so we should, a part of getting our house in order is you ought to be fellowshipping with godly people who can speak into your life can be with you and, and, and just sit with you or, 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 or not feel like, and fe- sitting with you means laughter for me. It means talking about sports. It means folks coming into the room and singing about the Lord. It also means that if you're visiting somebody who's sick, focus on the sick person and not the person who's not sick. Sometimes what happens, you have a family member and sometimes even spouse just sucks the air out of the room. And the person that's dying is this. They're lonely. They're like, Paul, come to me quickly. And you got a room crowd and everybody's talking to somebody who's going to be here when the deceased person is dying. Focus on the person who is leaving. So surround yourself with godly people. So fellowship with godly people. Do you have godly people in your life that if something was going on with you, that you could pick up the phone and say, you know what? I just got a bad diagnosis. I just had this experience at work. I'm just struggling, and I'm just having these nightmares, etc. Do you have somebody like that you can just be vulnerable with? You ought to. You ought to because the fellowship between believers extends beyond the temporal. Let me, let me run on. Find time to take care of yourself physically. That's a part of getting your house in order. The Bible says you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God what? Dwells in you, and if any man defiles the temple, God says, I will destroy. Here's what Paul says. Paul did not ignore his physical needs. He says, when you come, bring my coat that I left in Carpus in Troas. Paul says, it's getting ready to be winter up in here. I'm going to die, but I'm not trying to push the pedal down. And so I need my physical needs addressed. And so one of the things that we want to do is as we are preparing for what God is.
leading us to in the future is we need to find time for our, take care of our physical needs. I had a loved one who smoked, she, a chain smoker. And I would say, please, please stop smoking. And she would say, you're going to die from something. <laughs> and then she'd light up again. Leave me alone. I'm going to smoke all I want to move. And, and people, one thing that if people who had once said diagnosed with terminal cancer, the, the, they're not going to stop smoking. They keep smoking. But the Bible says you are the temple of God. So while we're not trying to get to heaven before we should, the one of the ways that you take care of yourself is by addressing your physical needs. Address your physical needs. Take care of yourself. Do, 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 do responsible things. Eat what you should eat. Go to bed when you should go to bed. Stop drinking what you shouldn't be drinking. Stop smoking what you shouldn't be smoking. Somebody say amen. amen. Now we're almost finished. <laughs> Paul said, bring me my coat. I remember uh, this is the person I was trying to help. And they had they had no clothes, and they 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 were they where they worked was in a very cold environment, and I took a leather coat that I had one of my favorite coats, heavy. I I didn't wear it anymore. I said, look, you can have this coat. I ain't wearing that coat. I don't wear these kind of clothes. My coat was too old fashioned. You don't have a coat. You getting ready to go up to the North Pole somewhere? You'd rather be in short sleeves and shorts than to wear something that doesn't suit your, your taste. We need to humble ourselves. The Bible says, I was offering people food outside of uh, a Kentucky Fried. I don't eat chicken. <laughs> you don't eat chicken. You won't be eating today. Find time to take care of yourself physically. I'm amazed. We're at, uh, and just look around this church. God takes care of his own. We ain't the youngest, but look how great these folks look. They take care of themselves in the Lord. So we need to take care. So Paul, even in his dying hour, bring me my coat. Some people think that the way to impress God is to suffer, not to take, they, they, they're dying and they won't even take pain medication. Yeah, they, you're dying and you're going to suffer in your dying because false doctrine, false teaching. Find time to take care of yourself. Here's another thing, feed your mind. Paul said, bring me the scrolls, especially the scriptures. Bring the parchment. I want, and if I'm going out, I want to be filling my mind. I want to be able to reach the full potential that God has for me. I want to be reading things that are informative. I want to be teaching myself what God has for me until the very last second of that God has for me. Paul says, cultivate your gift. Stir up your gift. Keep building on to what God has given you. Feed your mind. Feed your mind. And I'm not talking about no TikTok. 
So many folks at work just all day, their head right down on the phone. It's scary. You're monitoring people's heart rates and their breathing patterns. And you're so did idols and a whole bunch of other stuff, so absorbed in, in reading and, uh, uh, and, and absorbing nonsense that we aren't even aware that around us are people that we're supposed to be taking care of that are suffering because we are not properly focused. Feed your mind. What are you educating? What are you learning? What are you, should you be in school? Should you be pursuing a degree? People don't even want to go to school anymore. You just, you just go on, you just uh, get your podcast. You're a pastor now. You're a bishop. You're a, you, you are an apostle. The devil is a liar. And we're so, we're so gullible. We don't know the Bible. We're not going to study. You just let somebody stand up, and they got some nice clothes on, and they look halfway decent, got some gold on their hand and whatever. Oh, that must be God. <laughs> you better feed your mind with the word. Amen. The word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. You need to be constantly having your mind renewed through the word of God as a Christian. Get your house in order. What are you putting into your mind? Are you, are you hypnotized by that TV set? Here's a, th- here's a six, here's six, and we've got one more. Forgive people that have hurt you. Second Timothy chapter 11, <clears throat> part B, it says, Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's useful for ministry. You go back to Acts chapter 13, on the Apostle Paul's first missionary journey, Mark checked out. He said, I ain't no going to be like this. I thought the missionary experience was going to be like Hollywood. And they ran into some hardship. And John Mark, who was the cousin of Barnabas, who was Paul's partner, actually the lead of the ministry, he just checked out. And then Paul said, when we get ready to go to our next missionary journey, Mark can't go. He's out. And the scripture says that Paul and, and Barnabas got into such a strong disagreement that they separated. And so Barnab- Barnabas was, was replaced by Silas, all because of John Mark. So Paul wasn't, feeling, he, Paul wasn't feeling great about John Mark. But now at the end of his life in, the, in, in, this, in this prison cell, the first person that Paul asked for, he says, send John Mark. He's profitable. You have to forgive people who have disappointed you, people who have harmed you, people who have hurt you, people who have been sometimes even physically and emotionally abusive to you. You have to forgive them because as long as you hold a grudge against them, their act, that, that act that they performed to harm you is still hurting you because you've given them the power to remind you of what they did. He said, go get John Mark. And then he says, when I stood before the judge, no one was with me but the Lord. He said, but Lord, do not hold it to their account. Do not charge it to their account. He didn't hold a grudge. Who do you need to forgive? Who has hurt you that you really haven't forgiven? You know you haven't. Every time you think about them, you get angry. Every time you reflect on what they did to you, it's almost as if they just did it. Here's the, here's the kicker. Who have you hurt? 
that you need to ask for, for you need to ask them to forgive you. The Bible says, if you come to the altar and you remember that you've offended someone, leave your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled. Who do you need to apologize to? I had two experiences. I had a man who had sexually abused his kids. They wanted nothing to do with him. This guy should have been dead. He looked like he was dead. It's like, is he? So, now you had to keep on checking his pulse. We didn't know what it was. He was waiting for his three children. He needed to ask for forgiveness. He needed to repent. I contacted the children. They said, well, you don't understand what our father did. And they told me what it is. I said, you know what? Your dad confessed that to me. He, he, he admitted that he did it. And they said, well, he never admitted to anybody. And he said, that's what he did now. And so they said, we're coming, we're coming. And so they came, and he apologized to each one of those children. He said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And once he got to that third child, he breathed his last. He was out. He needed to get for, be forgiven before he could leave. Now, they didn't take away what he did. But he would have still been punishing those children if they had not released him. I was in a room. A man was taken off the ventilator, and he should have been gone, too. There, everybody was at the bedside. There was one son standing at the door. He was mad, red-faced, and the family was begging, come, please, your dad is waiting for you. Please come. Just come to the He refused. He let his father die, grasping for air, refusing to forgive his father for only God knows what he thought his father did. But there's some people that you need to forgive. And if you forgave them or ask, if you go to them and you say, I'm not even sure what, whatever I have ever done to you. I had a pastor who said his son stayed in drug rehab. Great pastor in Pittsburgh. He said, and six times in different rehabs and every, no, never, no deliverance. And then one day the Lord said, apologize to your son. And he said, son, whatever I've ever done to you, I, please forgive me. And he said, when his son, he said, his son, dad, thank you. He said, once he apologized to his son, asked for forgiveness, his son never did drugs again. There's some people who are being held in bondage right now because you haven't apologized. You haven't admitted that you harmed them, that you damaged them. I'm not saying that I, I, I don't know what it was, even if it, whether it was intentional or unintentional. There's some people you need to say I'm sorry to. And by doing that, you are releasing them from a past that the devil has now not only made, held them in bondage, it's become a stronghold. But forgiveness has a way of setting captives free. Breaking down walls that the devil has erected. Who do you need to forgive? Who has harmed you, forgive people who have hurt you, feed your mind, find time to take care of yourself physically, fellowship with godly people, focus on what matters, finalize your thoughts in writing, and here's the final thing, frequently praise God, frequently praise, Paul ends this thing with a benediction, <laughs> he says, but the Lord stood at my side, and this is, this is, his, this is his clothes, the Lord stood at my side. And he gave me strength so that I could, that through the message, uh, I might be able to fulfill and proclaim the gospel. And he says, I was delivered from the lion's mouth. That's my testimony. The Lord will rescue me from every, since he did that, he will rescue me from every evil attack 
and will bring me safely to heaven. He said, I may not be delivered from this physical situation that I'm in. I may not walk out of this prison. The diagnosis that I have may not be changed. People might not change their opinion, but the Lord has delivered me from the mouth of lions. That's my testimony. He has brought me through in the past. God has been faithful, and since he's done it, he's not only going to continue to be faithful, but he won't complete what he's already started until he's got me into heaven. The apostle Paul was giving his praise. And to him, to him be the glory forever and ever. Stand with me. Stand with me. Get your house in order. Frequently praise God. Don't wait until you get to heaven and all of a sudden you're shocked. This is what they do in heaven? <laughs> We're going to be praising the Lord in heaven. There's something about praise. When you know that God has, one of the things that's going to cause you to give praise is that God has delivered you. Just think about the stuff that you've been through, the things that should have taken you out, the times you've been terrified. You knew the word, but you were still scared. Come on, somebody was still scared. You, 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 you knew you should claim the truth of the word of God, but you were, you were believing the, the report of the doctors, and that's all you could think about. But here you, here you stand today. Here you stand today. And here I hear the Lord saying, as Christians, we ought to be examples. We ought to be examples. We ought to know where we're heading, and we ought to be setting a trail and a path for the children and our children who are going to follow us. Let mom and dad be that example. Here's how you get your house in order. This is how you do it. This is how. I don't want craziness when I'm about to check out. No, we're not. No, we ain't doing all that. We're not going to break the, break, uh, break the bank when, when, when Benson is checking out. There ain't a lot of bank anyway. <laughs> but you got to do what the Lord says. Get your house in order. Father God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you that we're yet in the land of the living. We thank you, oh God, that you've given us not only the ability to know your will, but we have the ability to make others aware of what we believe to be your will for our lives. Father, right now, I pray that you would release a blessing upon this church, a focus on this church, that we realize that we are the glove that your hand is working through. Father, we want to surrender afresh to you that now everything that you have already predetermined that we will begin to see executed. Because you got your house in order before you even had a house. And now we just want to line up with you. In Jesus' name, amen.